0: Number four, Michigan. Wow, what a win for Kevin Willard and his guys. Seton Hall, goodness, some old memories may be wiped out temporarily.
1: Trust me when I say this the pain of losing to Michigan in the 89 national championship game will never, ever go away for Seton Hall fans. It's like Red Sox fans and Bucky bleeping Den. You never forget it. But as the great Hall of Fame broadcaster Bill Raftery just pointed out, maybe those memories from 89 were wiped out temporarily. As Pirate fans from coast to coast were smiling, they were celebrating Seton Hall's 67-65 upset of fourth-ranked Michigan in Ann Arbor last night. Hey, thanks for joining me on the Tri-State College Basketball Podcast. My name is Brian DeNovellis, and after a win like that, why not? A win that was 32 and a half years in the making for Seton Hall fans, why not have a podcast dedicated to that victory? Hail to the victors indeed. Yeah, hail to the victors from South Orange, right? Here to help me salute Seton Hall is a good friend of mine who goes back to me with our days together at the Hall, and more specifically, a broadcasting partner at 89.5 WSOU Pirate Radio, my good friend,
0: Joey Waller. Joey, you still celebrating my friend? I'll tell you what, I love how you just mentioned 32 and a half years in the making. Like when you ask a little kid how old they are and they say five and a half. Can you be more specific Dino? (laughs) Mm -hmm. Now I, to answer your question, uh, I don't know if we'll ever stop celebrating this one unless of course Seton Hall winds up losing to Ohio State a few days from now, of course, but uh, it's been quite a several I mean, hours Downer, since hey, that. Debbie I mean,
1: Downer, come on. Can we enjoy the victory?
0: <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> always rever- always reverts to the back of the baseball card. Um, <laughs> I'll tell you, it's been quite a several hours, Dino, and as you and I were discussing before we came on, one irony, considering our relationship is, you know, we... Usually, not always, but I would say we usually text at some point during big Seton Hall games. Hell, sometimes you'll even text me if they get off to a slow start in some, you know, (laughs) random non-conference game against Fashion Institute of Technology. You'll be like, can you believe all the turnovers? And yet last (laughs) night, for some reason, we never texted, I don't know. About on your end, I know, speaking for myself, I think I was just so locked in, I wasn't really texting with anyone, just thinking in the back of my mind, oh, we got to get this one. <laughs> uh, and, and yes, and and even
1: at, at halftime, you know, it was clear that that it was a game. It was clear Seton Hall uh, was in the game. But what, wor- what worried me at halftime was they were relying too much on the outside shot. And uh, Dickinson and Eli Brooks were they were unstoppable in the first half. And the question was, would we ever be able to rebound? Would we ever be able to stop shooting threes and get to the rim and score some points inside the paint? And Kevin Willard and company made all those adjustments in the second half. And I think that's a big reason why Seton Hall won the game. They clamped down defensively. They kept Michigan off the offensive boards and they started getting to the rim.
0: Well, you've hit on several key things there that we can get into right out of the box here. One, the aforementioned Bill Raftery had pointed it out a few times earlier in the game, take it to the hole, take it to the hole, stop settling, stop settling. And they did that, as you said, number one. Number two, let's be honest, Kevin Willard at times over the years, less so in recent years, but at times he has been criticized for not making the right Halftime adjustments. In this case, as you point out, he did. So kudos to Coach Willard for that. And this is a game where, as you point out, it was all about defense, as it really has been through their first few games. And that answers at least one of the big questions I had about this team coming into the season. There was so much focus, Dino, on all the weapons, all the depth, all the different possible options on the offensive end of the floor, my biggest question was, hang on now, Seton Hall, Willard, it's about defense first, defense second, defense third. So let's worry about that first. And my biggest question was, can all these new guys, can all this depth amount to a strong defensive team quickly enough? Because There are no dress rehearsals here. Well, there were a couple briefly, but now we get into the meat of the schedule, taking on all these ranked teams. Mm -hmm. And the question wasn't just how good can they be defensively? Can they be up to par? But can they do it right away? Because there's no time to spare. And as you just mentioned as well, uh, the answer is yes. Rebounding, that's another issue with this team. I think the fact that Roden is back now will help them huge off the glass because people forget He's a good rebounder. Okay, granted, he doesn't average 8, 10 rebounds a game, but he's tough, and he oh, he's always around the ball. He's always trying to grab the rebound. And I, And excuse me not to interrupt, that's one of the things I think people miss about real good rebounders sometimes. It's not just the rebounds that you get. It's the ones you fight for, too. And Jared
1: Roden has been rebounding since he was a freshman, since he was averaging less than two points a game. He always rebounded. OK, you're saying he doesn't average eight to ten. Well, you know what? He probably averages six or eight or six or seven by the end of the season. He is one of the best rebounders on the team. And it's little things that carried the Pirates through in the second half. Uh, one guy, Joey, that, that you and I have talked about and, and, and anyone who's been listening to me on this podcast will know I'm a huge fan of. Trey Jackson. All right. Before we get to the heroes, right? Roden and Aiken were clearly the heroes down the stretch. Um, you know, scoring point after point for Seton Hall. I think they scored. I think it was 16 of their final 18 points. You had an Ike Biagu free throw and and a Miles Kale free throw. Other than that, it was Aiken and Roden over the final six and a half minutes. But they don't get there if not for Trey Jackson. And every game. If you've noticed so far, FDU, Yale, and now against Michigan, there's someone else stepping up. First game, it was Tyree Samuel and Miles Kale. Second game, it was Alexis Yetna and Kaderi Richmond. Well, they didn't have it this game against Michigan, clearly. And Jackson, this is a guy, we see why he was a top 100 recruit at Missouri, couldn't find his way there. People were wondering last year, hmm, is this guy ever going to be a player? I mean, Listen, he didn't have time to learn the system last year. He's been there for a year. We saw the full arsenal. This guy can hit threes. He's got a smooth stroke. He can dribble and take it to the rim. He can finish. He can defend. I know Ike gets all the credit for defending, but watch him defend. He's six foot 10. He's long. He can block shots. I think this is only the beginning for Trey Jackson. Now, will he have some growing pains? Of course because it's his first year we got to treat him like a freshman really but i think the sky is the limit for this guy do you share my same enthusiasm about jackson
0: oh absolutely because first off i had no idea he could shoot like that oh, and yeah. i guess my first i guess my first question is can he really shoot like that because we haven't really heard about Unless I'm missing something here about that part of his game, right? We've heard about him being a high flyer. We've heard about him being able to do some damage inside. But in terms of perimeter game, that's news to me. And for him to be able to do it and keep them afloat earlier on in that game until some of those other guys who played hero late came along was the key to them having a chance to win that game. And one thing that I think too, Brian, has been a a staple of Kevin Willard teams is that In big games like this, uh, games against high-profile programs, games that have a lot of meaning in the standings, important games, Willard's teams in recent years, as they've had more success, have shown that even in a game where they're the underdog, as they were last night, even in games where they're not necessarily playing their best, which they weren't early on in this game, if you're the opposition and you let them hang around – they are going to not go away. If you give them a crack, more often than not, they're going to break it down. How often when you follow a team do you say, oh, we had our chances, didn't take advantage, whether it be you know college basketball or any, any other sport for that matter? Willard's teams usually, if you give them a crack, they may not bust the door down the first opportunity, but during the course of a game, if you keep letting them hang around, Sooner or later, they're probably going to come charging on through, and I think that's exactly what happened, is that Michigan, I don't know if it's that they took the Pirates lightly, or more likely that they just knew they were good, but didn't realize they were quite this good, and before you know it, they were going toe-to-toe, and then, you know, listen, Uh, Say what you want about Michigan, great program, great team, great year a season ago. Mm -hmm. Seton Hall had the more experienced squad, and I think that's one of the reasons that they wound up pulling it out down the stretch. Think about that, all right? The key players
1: making plays in this game, Ike Obiagu, senior. Jared Roden, senior. Bryce Aiken, graduate senior. Miles Kale, graduate senior. These are guys who are experienced. Even, Even Jameer Harris getting in there is a senior, Here's what I love, the way they defend. You touched upon that earlier. You know, they defended like maniacs against Yale, defended like maniacs against FDU. They're not taking plays off, Joey, right? How many times in the first half are we saying, oh my God, he left that guy open. Oh, he left that guy open. In years past, this team from the opening tip has made it their mantra to defend. Go back and look at that final play where Roden fouled the shooter. All right, Eli Brooks gets the ball at the top of the key. And for any fans out there listening, go back and look at the highlights. What Seton Hall did was they said no threes. Okay, they're up two. Brooks drove. It was clear this was this was the call for Michigan. Brooks driving, and if he has a layup, take it. Or hopefully the Seton Hall players collapse and he can kick it out to an open shooter. Joey, how many times have we seen wide open shooters? Well, if you watch that play, the collapse almost happened. Ike was there in the paint, but Miles Kale stayed near his man. Trey Jackson stayed near his man. So the only outlet valve Eli Brooks had was to the top of the key, and Roden had already closed out. Their attention to defense, and I'm a little long winded there, but I'm excited, Joey. Their attention to defense has been near perfect in the first three games. And if this team continues to defend like that, they're going to win a lot
0: of games or give themselves a chance to win. No question. Well, first off, you're allowed to be long-winded, Brian. It's your podcast. (laughs) Thank you. But, uh, (laughs) But that aside, oh, by the way, as we talk about defense, let's not bury the lead. One of the things Kevin Willard said after the game was, this may be my best defensive team ever. And he's had some good ones. And and more importantly, again, bears repeating, he's a defense-first coach. And college basketball fans know that one thing about defense-first coaches, they're usually not satisfied. I look at a guy like Bashir Mason at Wagner, whose games uh, I call. And, you know, he's a guy who was a great defensive player at Drexel who stresses defense first, last, and always like Kevin Willard does. And a lot of times, you know, they'll play a great defensive game. And just by nature, he's not satisfied. For Willard to say, this is my best defensive team possibly ever, is saying an awful lot. And then think about some of the names you just rattled off when talking about the defense there individually. You mentioned Jackson earlier. You mentioned Roden. You mentioned Ike, of course. And you mentioned Kale. Oh, let's also throw in the point guard who had a quiet night Offensively, but who may be their best individual defensive player on the team, and that's the newcomer Kadari Richmond. In today's college basketball, Brian, how often do we talk about any team, forget Seton Hall, any team, any year, any level, where you can rattle off five guys? that can lock it down on the defensive end. A lot of teams are good defensively because of their scheme, because they buy in, because of effort. It's more of a, you know, the the whole is greater than the sum of the parts type of a defensive unit. Here, you've got athletes that are each out there trying to dig in on defense. And, you know, we just touched earlier as well on how many weapons they have potentially, how much balance and depth they have offensively. I don't think we've seen on paper. This is perhaps as balanced a team, offense and defense, as we've seen under Willard. And so if you're making that statement, then you have to, I think, take the next step and ask, I think it's more than fair, could this wind up being his best team, period, never mind defensively? Well, yeah, listen, we're,
1: we can't get ahead of ourselves, but, but uh, sometimes we do that. I, I think I'm going to make a comparison, Joey, and I, and I know I shouldn't go there, but to, to the 89 team, not saying that this team's going to go win a national champ or go to the national championship game, not saying that they're even going to win the Big East tournament, but in terms of their depth, in recent years, you could focus defensively on Miles Powell or on Sandro Mamoke That 89 team, right, I believe, and your memory may be better than mine. I believe John Morton was the leading scorer or, you know, Ramon Ramos right behind him. I'm sure Andrew Gaze was up there, maybe followed by Daryl Walker. I'm I'm getting Gerald Green. I'm guessing they had four or five guys averaging in double figures. I don't have the statistics in front of me, but I think that's pretty accurate. Morton being the leading scorer. But on any given night, any one of those players could be the leading scorer. Jared Roden will be this team's leading scorer. After that, like I said, who are you going to defend? Who are you going to leave open? You're going to leave Trey Jackson open. you're gonna leave Jameer Harris open, Alexis Yetna, Tyrese Samuel, Miles Kale, Bryce mm-hmm. Aiken. who 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 is it gonna who are you gonna game plan for? and and that's really going to carry them far this year. in my opinion, they're supporting cast, and they all seem to accept their roles so far.
0: Well, agreed and really, there are two kinds of quote-unquote balanced offensive teams that you can have. And by that, I mean there are times when a team will lose a big offensive star or two going into a season, like Seton Hall has this year with no more Mamo, or like they were a year ago with no more Powell. And the coach will say, well, we need to have more of a balanced attack. And sometimes what that really means is we don't have one guy to score 20, but we may have several guys – that can get, oh, I don't know, 13 or 14, or that have to get 13 or 14. This team is different. They're the good kind of balanced. They don't have the one guy that's gonna get 20 every night. I don't know that Roden will even mm. do that with the no. just because of the sheer balance on this team, but they have several guys that can get 20 or maybe even 25 on any given night. So that's a good kind of balance to have, where they don't have to have it from any one guy, and they're probably going to get it from a number of guys. So uh, again, just a great win. And I know one thing we wanted to talk about, if I'm not mistaken, if I may. Kind you of want to switch lead in a
1: direction, Joey? You want you want to take over the, the the captain of the ship? Go ahead, steer
0: the ship. Listen, I, I mean, it took me until episode four thousand three hundred eighty-six <laughs> of the podcast to be invited hey. on. Did I or did I not make that call
1: before I started the podcast to say, Joey, I would love it if you were my right-hand man, but unfortunately, you turned me down. The timing wasn't right, Uh, so I
0: do apologize for that, but I did call you first, correct? You did, and as they say, absence makes the heart grow fonder, and so now (laughs) there's a a hunger for my presence on the podcast, like maybe there there wouldn't have been before, Dino, but- uh, now, listen, I mean, it, 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 we, we should point out to the audience in the interest of letting them in on a little secret here, folks, Brian did tell me that I would eventually be able to come on as a guest when I when I said I was not available last year to co-host the podcast with him on a regular basis. And what he said was simple. He said, Joey, you will come on for the first time. As soon as Seton Hall beats a top four team on the road,
1: that's exactly so what, we what I said. Joey, exactly what I said. <laughs> which, which, which is You're the better of your part. word <laughs> First, think about that. First, so let's go here. I'm going to steer the ship now. Okay, you had your yep. chance. That's the first time Seton Hall has ever beaten a non-conference top five opponent on the road. So let's rack our brains here. Let's get nostalgic. All right, because I was on Twitter last night. For for man, probably a good ninety minutes, Joey. I was so jacked after that win, and somebody tweeted at me saying, "Hey, is that the greatest you know win in Seton Hall history?" And you know, okay, modern history, right? So Big East history. So let's start to think about some of the wins and in terms of regular season, because to me, you you know, if you want to talk about postseason, it's you know, in, in the Willard era, it's the big East championship in 2016, that's his greatest win ever in the, uh, you know, PJ era. I mean, you know, any one of those wins from 89 starting with, you know, Duke and going backwards to Indiana and all the games that you called in the great Alaska shootout,
0: my goodness. Um, Where does this win fall, Joey? Take it away. Well, great minds think alike, Dino, because that's exactly where I was going to steer it. So here we go. (laughs) First, the qualifier. To me, and I feel this is ironclad, you can't compare any regular season win, no matter how great, even last night's, with a postseason win like an NCAA tournament victory or certainly a Big East championship. Yeah. If you're talking tournament, conference tournament championship in 16 or any any NCAA tournament win, I don't think can compare to this. It's just on a different level, in a different stratosphere. So let's limit it then, or at least I will, to the regular season. So a few come to mind. A lot of talk about the Georgetown game in 89. It's a game that was huge then and still is today for a few reasons. One, and, and again, I was fortunate enough, blessed enough to, to call that game for WSOU as a student. It was the first Seton Hall sellout ever at the Meadowlands. 20, so like,
1: 20,000.
0: Yeah, 000. I mean... I mean, that's a pro arena selling that game out, right. okay? That's number one. Number two, it was a win, because they did win, that made them 13-0 and for the first time in school history. Number three, it was against a Georgetown team that was number five in the country. So, okay, they weren't fourth, but they were fifth. A team where Alonzo Mourning was making his Big East debut. How many Blocked shots did he have in that game? Eight, Brian. I was going to say seven. Okay. And if I remember right, and again, I was calling the game, so my memory is pretty good on this game. I think he blocked shots. Not once, but twice in the opening moments of the game. And I think they were both on the perimeter. I think he came out and blocked a gaze three. And then he blocked another perimeter shot because I remember remarking on the air, oh my God, like these guys aren't even taking it into the paint against him. And he's swatting shots away. And he just started his Big East career. Anyway, there's that game. Second game that you have to consider is the last time they beat a top four on the road, which was has been mentioned Syracuse in 2000 what hasn't really been mentioned is oh by the way that Syracuse team had been 19 and 0 going into that game and I, so I forgot about that yes and so you look at in fairness now to balance it out you look at that roster and that was nowhere near the team that this Georgetown team was in 89, but they were 19-0. and 0, They were fourth in the country. It was at the Carrier Dome where, you know, Seton Hall used to win about as often as, you know, uh, the century changes on the calendar. And yet... Um, you know, people are making that comparison. And so that's another one to consider. And then I want to throw one into the hopper, and then I'm sure you have one or two I would imagine sure. that I'm not thinking of. And that's the Maryland win, albeit at home two years ago. Maryland was number seven in the country. Great defensive team, of course, as Seton Hall is or was. And what was key about that game? Seton Hall was without two guys that night. Yes. Yes. Miles Powell and Sandro mamukalishvili So to beat the number seven team in the country, without your top two players, two of the best players in the Big East, I mean, that one's at least got to be in the conversation, right?
1: Without question. And there were so – I was in the stands for that game. There were so many Maryland fans there. And and Maryland fans are, are, are heavy in the Northeast. I would say that they, – and they opened up one of the few games, Joey, that they opened up the upstairs, okay? They opened up the second level at the Rock. I would say there were a good – Four to five thousand Maryland fans. Seton Hall fans, it was before Christmas. They were not expecting to win that game. And uh Maryland fans were just, you know, waiting to blow it open. And Seton Hall just shocked them. Uh, without, let's face it, who would be, who would go on to be two big East players of the year? How many teams can say that? <laughs> they they don't have two conference players of the year in the future, and they beat. Uh, a top 10 team on their home court uh, well said, you know, that that's certainly one that was, that was great. Another one uh, during the Kevin Willard era was when Wichita state came in and they had two future NBA players in their backcourt with Baker and Van Vliet. And boy, Isaiah Whitehead hit, hit a shot from like 28, 30 feet out right in front of the Seton hall bench and the place erupted. And then of course, who can forget the game at the garden against Kentucky when miles powell went off and miles kale i believe it was miles kale that hit that three point shot do you remember who gave yes, him sorry
0: absolutely do you remember
1: yep. as he followed through like uh keith smart with that follow-through uh do you remember <laughs> who gave him that pass i do not uh wasn't it one taurine thompson who okay, dribbled into the lane, and I was like, "No, no, no!" And he had the wherewithal to pass it out to Kale for that three. So his one moment <laughs> to remember
0: in a Seton Hall uniform. A <laughs> guy that Jim, a guy that unlike Kadari Richmond, his former Syracuse coach Jim Beheim did not continue ripping after he transferred. But now we know why. <laughs> Apparently, Jim
1: didn't care. Boy, Boy right. talk, talk right. about just ripping a,
0: a teenager
1: for, for, I mean, come on, Jim, take it easy on him. All right. So Kaderi Richmond doesn't have a jump shot. Well, Seton hall fans see that he doesn't have the greatest jump shot, but he does so many other things. Well, you don't have to bury him. Uh, Kaderi Richmond just needs time in this offense, by the way, I think he needs time to figure it out. I think he was a little timid uh, last night. I think he was, you know, very loose with the ball. As I pointed out on Twitter, uh, you can see the size, you can see the skill, reminding Seton Hall fans of Brian Caver uh, from McCorston and Trenton, uh, who starred for Seton Hall in the in the early and mid-90s. If he can really just figure out his way in this offense and, and take the shots that he's comfortable taking, eight to 10-foot p- pull-up uh, jumpers, uh, he's a very good free-throw shooter, Kadari Richmond will be just fine, oh, by the way.
0: I think so. And I think the fact that he can change games and impact games with his defense, even when he struggles offensively, like he did last night is key, as well as the fact that while he hasn't given you a ton of offense so far, at least he hasn't forced the issue. And so, you know, if you you had your druthers, you'd rather if a guy has been modest offensively so far, statistically, that at least he not be turning the ball over. He not be trying to do too much. And I don't think he has, by the way, before we get off the what's the greatest regular season win ever track? To me, the two contenders are last night's game, again, regular season wins. last night's game and that Syracuse and that uh, Georgetown game. To me, Georgetown was the greater, more impressive win, but I think the win last night will be more impactful. Why? because we're in a different time. We're in the social media age. This is by far the biggest Seton Hall win in that period. And what I mean by that is we live in a time, as everyone listening knows, where a win like this, it goes on your permanent record, Brian. It's like that See that you got in Spanish class in high school. It's never whoa, going whoa, away. Whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> <laughs> I'll speak for myself. Um, every time that that graphic goes up for the rest of the year, where it says Seton Hall, big dance resume, and God willing, they'll be in that position where they're going to show that. Although nowadays, they usually show it for everybody one way or the other. That Michigan game is now on there for the next three or four months come hell or high water. And so it has two values. It has the value of helping their resume in a real practical sense, but there's also the exposure. There's also the marketing. There's also the goodwill, what it says to fans, what it says to alums, and most importantly, what it says to recruits, so that anyone that doesn't live and breathe Seton Hall basketball on a daily basis like the two of us do, if they happen to pop a game on a month from now, they're not going to be able to avoid one thing, no matter how Seton Hall is doing on that day. At some point during that telecast, in all likelihood, a graphic is going to come on the screen that reminds the nation oh, by the way, this team you're watching beat the number four team in the country on the road back in November. And I think because of that, you didn't have that back in 89. And so on balance, while the win in 89 over that Georgetown team at that time was more impressive from a basketball standpoint, in terms of an impact standpoint and what it does for the image of the program – I think this is the greatest win, so I'm going to make it a tie. Although you know that no, may no, no, seem no, no, a no. little. You just you just said this
1: was the greatest win, and I'm gonna I'm gonna stop you there, Joey. I agree with you. I agree with you that this one is a notch above, and that Georgetown game is still the loudest uh, at a Seton Hall game the loudest the fans were that, that I can ever recall. It was, it was deafening. And listen, there were other wins that we're probably forgetting. Like when Roden hit the hit the big three at Butler a couple of years ago, when Miles Powell, you know, ad-libbed on the inbounds and told him to shoot it. Butler was a top five team. Um, You know, they had a big win at Pittsburgh back in 2004 at the Peterson event center when Pittsburgh was unbeatable there. So, so there have been big wins. But in terms of regular season in the Big East era, uh, I'm, I'm putting this one number one. I'm putting that Georgetown win from the historical perspective. It showed that that Seton Hall team was for real. And I'm putting that win over Kentucky at the Garden, um, you know, number three in, in that order. Last, over the
0: Syracuse game.
1: Over the Syracuse game. Because it's a non-conference opponent, Joey, non Big East activity, Joey, gives it the nod over
0: Syracuse. Um, well, I was gonna, I, go, I was gonna go boxing rules and call it a draw, <laughs> but you stepped in, you were firm, and so I'm gonna go along with that. That's we're it. gonna, we're gonna go with last night's win yes. as the greatest regular season Seton Hall win ever. Okay, we we agree. Last thing
1: we can agree on, you and I have been, and we're talking with Joey Waller, going back to his days at WSOU his days at Seton Hall, and now you can hear him on ABC Audio. Joey, you and I have been critical, like a lot of Seton Hall fans were, of Kevin Willard and his inability to really recruit big-time players and get this program going. Well, now that he has it going, all right, it's clear he's recruiting his guys and he's recruiting guys that are in the top 100. We haven't even seen Brandon Weston this year, and we hope to see him this year. All right, Miles Kale was a top 100 player. Um, Miles Powell was a top 100 player. He is getting those players. Trey Jackson coming in as a former top 100 players a transfer. Kevin Willard said last night after the win over Michigan that this is what he expects. Wins and games like this against top 10, top five programs like Michigan. This is where he expects the Seton Hall program to be. And now that Seton Hall is there consistently getting to the NCAA tournament, finishing in the top four or five in the Big East, what is it now? Uh, The last five years, right? This is what Seton Hall fans can expect from Seton Hall. This is what they want. Do they want them to win a couple of more games in the NCAA tournament? Sure, but I'm not going to go there. My point is we need to give Kevin Willard his due, that he has uh, Seton Hall as a national program, and applaud him for what he's doing and what he will continue to do this year.
0: Yeah, 100% on all counts. I mean, I was hard on Willard his first several years, and rightfully so, because while he had, no question, a tough job because of the mess that Bobby Gonzalez left behind, I thought there were times when they could have gotten more out of what they had when he was a few years in. Sure, But that's, that's ancient history now, water under the bridge. In almost every way that I had a knock on the guy those first years, he's completely turned it around and you know i'm if you want to say that i've you know changed my mind about him i have but i changed it you know at least three years ago and you know to make a long story yeah to make to make a long story short to me the main thing that he's done out of many impressive things brian Is, I mean, you you summed it up by saying, you know, this is pretty this type of win, this type of performance record wise year in, year out, the last, you know, four or five years, this is what we can expect. What's most impressive about it to me is that he's done it with like three different cores, right? There was the there was the team led by Whitehead. Then there was the team led by the other three or four guys from that class when Whitehead was gone. Desi then and there was and the Dean. team, right? Then there was the team led by Powell that made the tournament. Then there was the team led by Mamu last year that came within a whisker. Um, but even if you discount last year when they fell short, that's three other cores: the Whitehead group, the guys other than Whitehead group, and the Powell group led by Powell. To be able to go uninterrupted like that and just as the old saying goes in sports, to be able to retool instead of rebuild, that's something that years ago we didn't think anyone would ever be able to do again after PJ. For years, Brian, you'd hear, you know, just like the old saying in real estate, it's all about location, location, location. For years in college basketball, you'd hear it's about recruiting, recruiting, recruiting. Well, guess what? Partially true now. Now, it's mainly about retention, retention, retention. And anybody out there listening, whether you're a Seton Hall fan, and I'm sure most of you are, or whether you're not, one thing any college basketball fan has to admit, because it's fact, players love playing for Willard and they do not leave. And any fan in the country will take those two things and sign for them today in a minute because you can recruit all the stars you want If they hate your gut six months later, or if they're not happy with their playing time, or they have their head turned by a program that's a rung or two higher, then what good is it? He gets them, but more importantly, he keeps them. Name me the last guy of significance to leave this program. It was probably Sterling Gibbs. What did he do when he left and went to UConn? Not much. And other than him? Nobody since. That's huge. You're right, Joey.
1: Excellent point. We're going to end it there because no one who's transferred since Sterling Gibbs has transferred up. They've all transferred down to a lower, you know, mid level, mid major type of program. Or, like you said, no one of significance left. Instead, he's brought them in. I'll have the final say here about Kevin Willard. He can recruit, he can win big games. He is a championship winning coach and he retains his players. He develops them. And most importantly, Joey, these are student athletes. He graduates them. You're talking about Ike Obiagu, Big East scholar athlete of the year. He graduates them and he gets them to where they're going and they don't forget about him, no doubt about it. Joey Waller, it's been a blast talking about this Seton Hall victory. Uh, I will have you on again. It won't take me 4,236 episodes to have you on again, my friend.
0: Uh, good time. Now listen, the, the next time now listen, the next time you think that Steve Peichel is gonna come back for his 12th appearance on the podcast and he cancels on the last minute, <laughs> I'll be your first phone. <laughs> listen, <laughs> Steve Peichel is a good friend of this podcast.
1: He gets it. He gets it, Joey. And I need people on this podcast who get it and you get it
0: all right Joey we like, Waller. we like we like we don't love Rutgers but we like we will we, we do like coach Pike we love coach Pike and uh coach
1: Pike can come on anytime so can coach Mike Anderson and coach Dan Hurley for that matter all right Joey Waller it's been great speaking with you and we will talk soon my name is Brian novellis thank you for listening to the tri-state college basketball podcast everybody until next time so long